Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you this morning. Uh, let me start off with a question this morning. Anybody, anybody like to dance? Any, any dance folks? Yeah, I, uh, I'm terrible at dancing and I hate dancing. And I hate dancing because I hate doing things that I'm not good at. And, and I'm a gigantor. And so at six foot five, whatever starts at the bottom, by the time it gets to the top, not only does it not look good, everybody in the room can see it. And so I, I'm not a fan of dancing, but I love my wife. And uh, this last spring, we took a little road trip without the kids uh, down in Texas, which side note, if you are married, listen, find a way somehow to, to get a, a, a couple days away without the kids. Move heaven and earth to find a way to do, make that happen and make that investment in your marriage because it is so critical. But this is not a marriage message, so I won't stay there too long. Um, so we went down a road trip to Texas and Jessica said that one of, her, one of her chief goals was to go to a honky tonk and do a little boot scooting. And, and I, I had about three months to try to find a way to get out of that and I, I could not. And so we made our way to a honky tonk and, and thankfully they had like a little dance lesson uh, beforehand and your boy needed all of it. Um, I was in the, in the short bus on the dance lesson class. I mean, I was on the struggle bus, I was hurting. Um, but they taught us how to do the Texas two-step. And I actually thought about for a second uh, this morning that I would try to show that to you, but I forgot how to do it. That's a real story, um, and so I'm not gonna do that. But they showed us how to do the two-step. And, and so we were, we were on the dance floor, and, and I, I have to tell you, um, you, you, you would not have been very proud of your pastor. Even though I was one of the few people that was not significantly inebriated at the honky-tonk, um, I, I, I still was one of the worst dancers there. Um, but we made our way around the dance floor. It was not very pretty. Um, but it was effective. We, we, we effectively two-stepped our way in circles all the way around that dance floor. And then, and then Jessica repeatedly laughed at me as I stepped on her feet, as I ran into other people. At one point, she started laughing and I didn't know what I did wrong. And she looked, I said, why are you laughing? She goes, because I can see you calculating in your head the right way to do this. You just got to feel it. You just got to feel it, babe. I'm like, yeah, I ain't feeling nothing. Um. But relax, there's not going to be any dancing. Uh, some of you are really upset by that, um, that there's not going to be any dancing this morning. Uh, some of you are like, that's right. There not be no dancing in church. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, if you're one of those people, you're really going to hate heaven. There's going to be lots of dancing in heaven. If you don't like loud music, you're going to hate heaven. There's going to be lots of loud music in heaven. And I'm just believing in my perfect glorified body, I'm going to be able to dance like Usher in heaven. <laughs> Michael Jackson going to have nothing on me. Anyway, we're in our third week of our series called Who's Your One? This is a series designed to inspire and empower you for personal evangelism. And in light of that story that I told you, um, the title of today's message is The Evangelism Two-Step uh, and No Dance Moves Required. Uh, let me tell you why this is so important that we are talking about this. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but our community is filled with hosts of people that are hurting. 
and looking for hope. Our community is filled with hosts of people that are going through hardship and difficulty. Our community is filled with, with, with homes, uh, with, with marriages that are struggling and broken. Our, our, our community is filled with, with homes of people who are, 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 are in isolation, who are in anxiety, who are wrestling with depression. Our, our community is filled with homes of people, with teenagers that are, that are trying to figure out how to live in the wake of the decisions that their parents made, but they didn't, they didn't ask to be a part of any of those decisions. Our community is is filled with hosts and hosts and hosts of people who are looking for hope, who are looking for help, who are looking for healing. And, and as we talked about in the song this morning, what they need is Jesus. Let me bring it down a little bit more personally. In your life, there are people in your life that are going through hardship and difficulties. And they may not even know that the thing that they're looking for, the thing that they're searching for is a relationship with Jesus. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you have already come to know that Jesus is the present help in time of trouble. That Jesus is a friend that sits closer than a brother. And so this subject of personal evangelism is so critically important because we have the solution and the, and the, and the, the ointment and we have the healing for what ails the world and what ails the people in our lives that we love and care about. That's why we're talking about this. That's why we're unpacking this today. Listen, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online or, or, or tuning in after the fact. And, and maybe you're here today and you're not a Jesus, Jesus follower. Maybe you're going through hardship. Maybe you're going through difficulties. Can I just tell you, I'm just really glad that you're here. And I hope that you'll hear in the, in the message today that you'll hear the heart of God and his love for people pouring out. Now there's gonna be, if you're not a Jesus follower today, if you're not a regular with us today, there's gonna be some things about this message that's gonna feel like maybe this doesn't really connect or apply to me. But I wanna encourage you to continue to lean in because over all of this message, you're gonna see and witness God's heart for people. You're gonna experience God's heart for you. Because what we're gonna talk about today as we talk about the evangelism two-step is we're gonna talk about how Jesus' followers from the earliest of days went about this idea of personal evangelism. We're gonna be in John chapter one today. You can get your Bibles and open them up and get ready because in John chapter one, we're gonna see the earliest Jesus' followers, the, kind of the technique and the process of, of how they went about um, personal evangelism, how they went about sharing their faith. And if you're with me today in John chapter one, let me hear you say two-step, two-step. Now, listen, I'm gonna read this a little bit weird today um, because we're gonna read two stories out of John chapter one. And, um, and instead of reading like one story and then a second story, I'm gonna kind of break it up so that we can almost see it as two stories happening simultaneously, even though they don't happen simultaneously, but hopefully that'll make sense as we get into this. John chapter one, verse 35 says this. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he walked and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. This is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And this is the moment where Jesus is announced to the world as not just being um, uh, the, the guy born to Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, um, not just a carpenter. Um, this is the moment where Jesus gets announced as something more than just a man. He's being announced now as, as the son of God, as God's solution to the problems of the world. And then it says, uh, then the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. These two disciples are Andrew and John and there's lots written about them in the gospels. Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them, that's Andrew and John following, he said to them, what do you seek? This is a polite way of Jesus saying, what you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? 
And so by them asking this question, it, it's clear to Jesus that Andrew and John, who were followers of John the Baptist, um, heard John the Baptist and, and John's basically saying, listen, I, I'm not the one that God promised. Jesus is the one that God promised. And Andrew and John, curious about that, begin to like, all right, well, John, you know, it's been real, right? And then they kind of go and start following Jesus and they come to Jesus and Jesus, you know, they're like, they're like two kids, you know how kids kind of circle you at the house, like sharks circling the prey, right? And at some point you're just like, I love you, but what do you want? That's kind of what's happening here with Jesus. And so they ask the question, hey, Jesus, where, where are you staying? They're kind of saying, where are you headed, man? And, it, and, and embedded in the question is, is it cool if we kind of tag along? And Jesus says to them, verse, uh, verse 39, he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Now, when Jesus invites them to come and see, what he's doing is kind of two parts. On one hand, he's literally responding to the literal question of where am I staying? He goes, well, you know, if you follow me kind of over here and around there and you, you see where I'm staying, it's not very fancy. But he's also answering the question that they're not even aware that they're asking yet, which is, Jesus, are you really who John the Baptist said you were? And Jesus simply says, come and see. Now, let's fast forward just for a moment and let's see what happens on the next day. Go to verse 43. The following day, Jesus went to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, now Andrew and John heard about John the Baptist saying that. And so they kind of, you know, kind of hung around Jesus for a minute. But in this situation, Jesus specifically goes to Philip and he invites Philip to follow him. And so in two days, three men encounter Jesus and they're curious about who he is. They're, they're interested about what's going on and, and, and they're, getting, they're beginning to get a sense that there's something that's different about Jesus than there was even from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a guy who drew crowds of people that were curious about his messages. He pointed people to the promises of God that someday soon that God was gonna send somebody to be a rescuer for Israel. And so these three men begin to be curious about Jesus. And here's what we're gonna notice as we look at specifically Andrew and Philip. We're gonna notice that the earliest and first Jesus followers, two out of the three people who are first to follow Jesus, we learn something about them. And what we're gonna learn and observe about them is that they developed an automatic, predictable response. Now, there are things in our lives that, that automatically spur or, or trigger this, these automatic, predictable, almost guttural, instinctual responses. When you eat something, when you're super hungry and you eat something that is super, super good, what do you do? Mmm, that's good. When you're super thirsty, maybe you've been working out in the yard in the middle of the summer and you go inside and you get you a big old glass of ice water. There are some laws of nature that just can't be broken. That's part of it. Here's another law of nature that can't be broken. Any dad at any point ever that has ever tied something down to a truck or a trailer, after he ties it down, what does he say? Well, that's not going anywhere. These are fundamental laws of nature that can't be broken, people. 
So there are some things that are hardwired into our being that just happen instinctually. They happen naturally. They happen automatically and they happen predictably. And what Jesus wants us to know, the reason why God has preserved this in John chapter one is so that every follower of Jesus that would come after John and Andrew would be able to see that that thing that's inside of you, when you have discovered the hope that is found in Jesus, when you have realized that there is freedom found in Jesus, when you realize that the hope for your marriage is found in Jesus and you actually put the work in to trust more in Jesus instead of in your own ability and you begin to discover the hope and the forgiveness and the peace and the freedom that comes from him, there becomes a natural thing that stirs up inside of you where you just kind of have to tell somebody. And what God wants us to understand today is that we need to embrace that, 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 it, that that's okay. That even if we are in a place where, you know, people frown about talking about Jesus, like, all right, that, okay, fine. But, but we need to learn to embrace this idea, this, this guttural automatic response that, that begins to well up inside of us when we have encountered the goodness of God. And I want to encourage you today that the reality of it is, is that what they did, what Andrew and Philip did, they're, they're, automatic, predictable response is what we're going to see in the next few verses. John chapter one, verse 40. I want you to notice what Andrew did first. Verse 40 says, and one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. That's what Andrew did. Let's look at Philip in verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they were like, they were like, you know, from the same hood. And then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What did they do? Well, in order for us to understand what they did, we need to understand why they did what they did. You see, these men would have grown up as, as Jewish boys learning and hearing over and over and over again about the promises of God, that God would one day send a rescuer, a redeemer to ransom Israel, to, to, to lead Israel to a place of, of, of prominence and to a place of prosperity. And the promises over and over and over again was that the Lamb of God would come and lead God's people, the nation of Israel, to new heights and to new places. And John the Baptist's job was to be a forerunner and to kind of lay the track for them to walk on, for Jesus to walk on. And when Jesus shows up on the scene and John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Andrew and Philip, uh, or I'm sorry, Peter, or John and Andrew, thank you. John and Andrew immediately would have heard that and go, whoa, my rabbi, John the Baptist is saying that this Jesus guy is the guy that the prophets of old have been telling us about for generations and generations. Philip would have, would have known about this and heard about this and he would have thought, oh my goodness, Jesus is the one. He's the one that was promised, that God promised to us. So what did they do? Andrew was found by Jesus. What does Andrew do? He goes and finds Peter. Philip was found by Jesus. What does Philip do? He goes and finds Nathaniel. What do we learn? We learn from the earliest followers of Jesus that found people, people who have been found by Jesus, go find other people. This is what they do. They, they, 
There is an automatic, predictable, guttural response. Oh my goodness, if this is true, this is the best news ever. And not only is it true that I know that our Redeemer is here, that He is alive, He's getting ready to lead Israel to a new place. I, I actually got a chance to meet Him. And not only did I get a chance to meet Him, He has invited me to come follow Him. So these men, when they, they come to that realization, they go, oh my goodness, <laughs> Jesus found me. I got to go find some people that I love and care about. They're not going to believe what I've got to tell them. And I just got to tell you today that if you have been found by Jesus, if you've discovered the life and the hope that comes in a relationship and through a relationship with Christ, if you know the feeling of being forgiven for your sins and guilt and shame being ripped away off of your shoulders and you no longer have to carry the weight of that anymore, if you have discovered that, then what God wants for us, what God wants for you is to go and find people and let them know about what Jesus has done for you. And this doesn't just apply, by the way, to, to well, maybe you're hearing this and you go, yeah, but I, I've, been, I've been saved for a long time. It's been a long time ago. Okay, that's fine. Can I just tell you, it's okay every time you encounter the goodness of God, it's okay for you to go find somebody and tell them about it. Listen, we do this already. I was with uh, two people in the last six weeks um, when they got a text message from their spouse that they got an unexpected $5,000 raise. Now, have you ever heard like good news comes in threes? You know, I, 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 like, well, I don't know who the third person's gonna be. They're free for lunch, all right? Right, like I thought maybe Jessica was gonna text me. I got a raise. But that doesn't work because that, you know, I, I, I'm her boss, so. That... Y'all done took that, and I'm gonna have to apologize for that later because of how you responded to it. <laughs> Technically, I'm not her boss. Chris is her boss, but Chris is leaving, so. Anyway, right? But, but, but when you encounter good news like that, like if your boss called you into their office and said, hey, we're just really thankful for you. We're happy for the work that you're doing. We're gonna give you a $10,000 raise. I'm just gonna go out on a limb that you're not going to do this. Well, thank you. I agree with your assessment and I will happily receive this and I will tell no one. And you will not go home. You will not leave that office and just leave your phone in your pocket. You might try to, you know, conceal it because you don't want to like rub in everybody else's faces unless there's a couple people that you do want to rub in their faces and then, you know, let God deal with you on that. You're not gonna go home and not say something to your spouse. No, no, no. You get, you get have that conversation. You are picking up the phone. You're like, you're not gonna believe this. Boom, raise. Praise God, we can afford a full tank of gas now. Why? Because that's good news. And God has hardwired it into the DNA of every human on the planet that when you experience good news, that there is an automatic predictable response that you've got to go tell somebody. 
And what God wants us to know is the reason why you have that desire, the reason why you have that instinct is not because it's a bad thing for you to tell people the good news about your race. It's because when you encounter the goodness of God, he wants you to understand, I created you to be a purveyor of good news, to communicate, to pass on good news. So what is the first step? of the two-step. How do, we, how do we do this practically? Well, what do we notice with Andrew and Philip? Step one, go and tell. That's it. Go and tell. When you encounter the goodness of God, when you experience the grace of God, when God does something good in your life, when God changes something in your life, when you are set free from something, when guilt and shame is removed from you in a certain area, when you experience victory over some area of sin or, or maybe patterns of addiction in your life, Go and tell somebody about it. That's what these early Jesus followers do. They went and told Peter and Nathaniel what, had, what they had seen and experienced. And so what happened? Well, let's look at first, let's see what Peter did. Verse 42, and he, that's Nathaniel, uh, I'm sorry, Philip, no, John, Andrew, golly, these, y'all pray for me, I'm having a hard time. And he brought him to Jesus. Y'all figure it out. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus looked at him, when he looked at Peter, so Peter's like, all right, I'll follow along. I'll, you know, I'll play along. Peter gets to Jesus and it says, when Jesus looked at him, he said to him, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Now, I can't imagine this situation because Peter's never met Jesus before. So, you know, you go up to somebody and they tell you what their name is and not only, not only what your name is, but when it says Simon, son of Jonah, it's literally like you are Jonah's son. And so, so Peter shows up and, and Jesus is like, I know who you are, I know who your daddy is. I imagine Peter would have been kind of impressed. But then Jesus does something crazy. He goes, yeah, but I'm changing all that. I'm no longer gonna call you Simon. I'm gonna call you Cephas. What does Cephas mean? Cephas is Aramaic for, for uh, 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 an Aramaic word for, for rock. In the Greek, it gets translated in the Greek translation to Petro uh, or Petra, sorry. And Petra is where the, we get the English translation of Peter. So, so, so Peter hears what Andrew has to say, what his brother has to say, he goes, surely that can't be. He goes and he finds out that it is true that Jesus is the one who, who the prophets have been promising and his life is changed in that moment. We know his life has changed because the rest of the narrative, we see Peter following Jesus. And to mark the moment, Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon, son of Jonah, to Peter. Now, sometimes here's what you're gonna find. When you go about the process of going and telling, you're gonna find that at times there are gonna be some people that you are gonna talk to that are gonna be so overwhelmed with the weight of the world that, 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 that they're gonna feel so pregnant with all of the pain that they're just looking for a relief or looking for a release. And sometimes when you tell the good news of Jesus to somebody, their immediate response is, oh my goodness, tell me more about it, please. I wanna know more about the answers to the hope that you've got. I wanna know more about the solutions to the problems that I have. Tell me more about Jesus. 
And because they're so, so, so pregnant with all of the weight of the world and all the stuff of the world, that, that they're just going to immediately see and respond to Jesus. And they're going to follow him and they're going to receive him as Savior. And they're going to begin a new relationship with Jesus. That's what happens with Peter. But what happens? Uh, let me get ahead of myself. This is why we've got to be willing to share our faith. This is the reason why we've got to be willing to go and tell. Because there are people all around us that are this close to being willing to, to, to lay their life down, to give their problems and their burdens away for just, for just a little bit of hope. It's the reason why so many people, when they feel overwhelmed, they turn to things that do not put life back into them. It's why they turn to a bottle. It's why they turn to food. It's why they turn to social media. It's why they turn to binge watching. It's why they turn to so many things because the weight of the world is so much and they're just, they're willing to, to give it away for just a little bit of hope. But the hope that we have never fades and never goes away. There's not a hangover from the hope of Jesus. The book of Romans says this in Romans chapter 10, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Can I tell you something? When this says, how can they hear without a preacher? It's not talking about me. It's talking about we. And when Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, told his disciples, go therefore into all the world, telling people about me, baptizing them in the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The reason why Jesus does this, it's often referred to as the Great Commission because Jesus wants every single one of his Jesus followers to know you are qualified by having a relationship with me. You are qualified by having your life impacted by me. You are qualified by being connected to me. So I am sending you out to preach the good news. You don't just preach the good news by opening up the Bible and doing what I do, and you preach the good news by living your life. You preach the good news by when you experience the goodness of God, it's, it's, not, it's not overcomplicated. You just go and you tell somebody about it. And what God wants you to know today, what God wants me to know today is that he has commissioned you and me to go preach the good news to the people who are close to us, but far from God so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so they can be saved. And what we learn from Peter, as Andrew goes and he tells him, is that Peter is so eager, so willing, he immediately responds. Now listen, here's what we have to know. It's critical that we understand that, that it is our job to, to go and tell, it's our job to share, but it's not our job to save. God never places the burden of responsibility on seeing somebody move from, from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive in Jesus. He does not put that burden on us. The, the, the commission he gives us is simply to go and to tell because God is the only one that can save. I like to think about it this way. And when it comes to someone's salvation, there are three people with responsibility. It's God's responsibility to save. It's our responsibility to share. It's their responsibility to believe. We know God's gonna do his part. We can't control what they're gonna do. We can only control what we're gonna do. 
God commissions us to go and share. But what do you do when someone has questions? What do you do when you find people who maybe aren't super eager about you and your Jesus? What do you do when they've got questions that you don't know that you can answer? What do you do when they wanna debate you? What do you do when they wanna kind of scoff and make fun of you because of your faith in Jesus? Well, in order to understand that, let's see what happened to Philip. Now, if you remember Philip, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael says this, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, here's what you have to understand culturally. Nazareth was like a podunk town to the people in Jerusalem. Nazareth was like the, uh, the, the, the one stoplight town, one stop sign town that nobody ever kind of goes to, but it's something that everyone kind of has to go through. It's not a place that you ever stop. It's not a destination. And, and it's kind of one of those towns like nobody really ever announces like, what's up, y'all? Where are you from? I'm from Nazareth. That's right. I'm here. Represent, baby. Nobody ever does that coming from Nazareth except Jesus. And so Nathaniel, knowing all of this, is like, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel was skeptical. What do you do when you encounter skeptics? Well, I mean, are we supposed to stand up and fight for Jesus? When we encounter skeptics, is this our call to arms as Jesus followers? I gotta protect Jesus. I gotta protect the Bible. I gotta protect God. I gotta protect. Listen, you don't need to protect Jesus. It's like trying to protect a lion. Just open up the cage. He'll handle it. We're supposed to pull out our Bible and philosophically start beating people over the head and show you how much Bible verses I know. No, I don't believe that's what we're called to do. In fact, this is so critical for every single person to hear today. If you believe the Bible, if you believe God's word is true, then here's what you need to understand. The burden of proof to prove that God is real, that his word is true, and that Jesus is who he says he is, the burden of proof to prove those things are true are not on us. The burden of proof to prove those things aren't true is on the world. You go, I don't know about that, pastor. Well, let me prove it to you. Book of Romans, chapter one, verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that all are without excuse. The burden of proof to prove that God is real is not on us because God's word says, and if I believe his word to be true, then this is true, that that the evidence of God is all around in creation so that all who deny it are without an excuse. The burden of proof that God is good, the burden of proof proof that Jesus is real, the burden of proof that Jesus saves, the burden of proof that real life begins when we encounter Jesus, the burden of proof for none of that is on us to prove that it's true. It's on the world to prove that it isn't. This is, here's the reason why I'm so passionate about this. One of the most significant um, uh, questions that I get asked with people when it comes to their concern about sharing their faith is, well, what happens if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? You don't have to know the answers to the questions because the question itself is flawed. When someone says, well, do you really believe that, fill in the blank, all you have to do is say, tell me why you don't. 
I can't believe that if God is a good God, then why does this, why, why does he send bad people to hell? I, do you believe in hell? If you don't believe in hell, then why does this matter so much to you? It's hard for me to believe that there's only one God. And you're so arrogant to think that your God is the only God. Well, which God do you believe is true? See, the burden of proof isn't on us to prove that these things are true. The burden of proof is on the world. Why? Because God's word says that the evidence of God is clearly seen throughout all creation. Now, listen, I want you to hear me. Don't ask those questions by being a spiritual jackwagon. I don't know. Why don't you tell me which God you think is real? Pagan. Don't do that. When you do that, you do a right thing the wrong way and you look like an idiot and you don't help the cause of Jesus. The burden of proof isn't on us, it's on the world. So instead of arguing with people or being afraid that someone will know more than you, it'd be far better for us to follow Philip's example. What does Philip do when he encounters a skeptic? It says this in verse 46, Philip said to him, come and see. You know what Philip is understanding here? I ain't got to debate this with you, bro. I don't know squat about Nazareth. I ain't never been there. I don't know anybody that's from there except this dude named Jesus that I just met. I don't know the reason why you hate Nazareth. I don't know the reason why you got something against Nazareth. I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is that I met Jesus. I think he's the promised savior for our people. And if you've got questions, I would just invite you to come and see for yourself. See, this is the second step of the evangelism, two steps. Step one is go and tell. Step two is come and see. Three simple words, a simple invitation, not an argument, not accusation, not belittling anybody, just a simple, honest, open invitation extended to people filled with love. Can I tell you, we never know what's gonna happen when we extend that invitation. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. You see, the problem is, is the enemy so often fills our mind with all these worst case possible scenarios and we get all wrapped up in our mind about, well, well, you know, if, if I, if I, oh man, I, don't, I really love them. I really care about them. I don't want to share Jesus and, and it causes it like create distance. They might reject me. Listen, I, I'm getting ready to say a hard thing, but I'm saying, going to say it with love. We need to get over our selfishness and our fear of being rejected so that we can get on board with the potential of their eternity being forever changed. We get so caught up in our mind about the possible worst case scenario. What if they reject me? I'm gonna give an invitation to Jesus, but, 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 but what if I do it wrong? What if I say it wrong? What if I trigger something and they actually reject me and I, and I lose a relationship because I was too pushy with Jesus? Can I just tell you something? The worst case scenario is not that you lose a relationship. The worst case scenario is that the person that you love so much spends the rest of their life apart from God, apart from hope, apart from freedom, apart from peace, apart from joy, in isolation, going through every hardship, every difficulty, every trial on their own, living the rest of their days wondering, does God exist? Is God is real? If God is real, then why does all this stuff keep happening to me? And then they, they die and their days on earth expire and they go to a very real place 
place called hell. That's the worst case scenario. And so we've got to be able to get to the point. I'm not telling you that you need to, that you need to just deny or act like talking about Jesus might not be a hard thing to do. I'm just telling you that those thoughts, those fears are from the pit of hell that cause us to keep our mouths shut. But when I read the book of the Bible, when I read God's word, I see that, that when the lions start roaring, our God is the one who can shut their mouths. I've never heard of a single account of a time when a person was rejected for giving an invitation out of love. And if you have been in a situation where you were rejected, I'm gonna submit to you that some part of how you presented it was not out of love. We've got to get over the fear of potential hurt to us for the sake of potential healing for them. So what happens? What's possible with the invitation? Can I tell you what I'm getting ready to read is not a prescription. It doesn't always work this way. There are people in this world that that are not going to receive the good news of Jesus. There's people who are going to reject the good news of Jesus. There are people that it doesn't matter how you say it, how you word it. I mean, you could Billy Graham, like you could be Billy Graham and Jesus all wrapped up in one. You know why? Because when I read the Bible, I see that some of Jesus' own family rejected him. So this isn't a prescription that it's always gonna work out this way, but I want you to see what's possible. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming. So, so Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, how do you know me? Can I, listen, I, this is so important. I gotta stop here. Nathanael asked the question, Jesus, how do you know me? Here's our takeaway from this. It is not possible for you to know or love somebody more than Jesus does. You don't know the details of their story. You don't know what's going on in their home. You don't know what's going on at work. You don't know the battles and the demons they're fighting internally, but Jesus does. And when Nathaniel asked the question, how did you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Translation, Jesus sees the people that are close to us but far from him and he loves them enough that he's put them on your heart so that you can be Philip to Nathaniel to go meet Nathaniel under the fig tree and bring Nathaniel to Jesus. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. I mean, I can't understand how anybody could possibly have known that. The only explanation is that you're not just a dude. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, verse 50. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Philip was willing to go 
and tell Nathaniel about Jesus. And when Nathaniel responded with skepticism, with hard questions, impossible questions that nobody really knows the answer to, all Philip did was say, I don't know, man, why don't you come and see? And Nathaniel did choose to come and see. Nathaniel's life was forever changed. Here's what I believe. I believe that when someone sees Jesus clearly, they will not be able but to help themselves from following him closely. It's impossible to see Jesus clearly and not follow him closely. Nathaniel got an opportunity to see Jesus clearly. And he would spend the rest of his days following Jesus closely, all because of a simple invitation. Listen, next week we're moving to two services and we're doing it because we're running out of space back in kids and um, we're, you know, we've got some extra chairs in here, but room in here is starting to get cramped. Listen, when you leave today, we've got a whole brand new batch of invitations that we printed up with two services on them. Listen, would you just take a handful of invitations with you? And when you leave this place, would would you go and tell some people about where they can have an encounter with Jesus? By the way, Discover Church isn't the only place where Jesus shows up on Sunday mornings. There's lots of great churches that God's doing lots of great things through. And then hand them that card and say, come and see. You can sit with me. It's a simple opportunity, a simple way to invite people to come and see what Jesus is all about. Listen, true life is not discovered until you've been found by Jesus. Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to change your family's life, your friend's life, your coworker's life. In fact, there's not a single person on the planet that Jesus doesn't love enough to want to change their life and give them a new life and a new future. So let me ask you this question today. It's the same question I've been asking every single week. Who's your one? Who's your one that you would, that you would, pray for? Who's your one that you would look for opportunities to serve? Who's your one that you would, that you would look for opportunities to be able to, to tell them about your story and Jesus? Who's your one that you would invite them to come to church so they can hear about Jesus? Who's your one? You may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change someone's world. You as a person may not be able to change our whole city, but you can be a part of changing one person's life. Who's your one? Can I tell you today that um, over the last several weeks, we've had lots of new faces and folks showing up. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I don't know what your story is. If, if, If church isn't a part of your normal rhythm and somebody's invited you to come or told you about us, man, I'm so glad that you're here. I would just offer you this encouragement. Just keep showing up. I believe the truth of God's word when God says, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am also in the midst of them. You wanna know what Jesus is about? You got questions? Hey, this is a safe place. You can bring your questions. You can bring your hurts. You can bring your insecurities. Maybe you're here in in, in church as a part of your normal rhythm and um, you've been at a church and now you've, you've come our church. And what I've learned is, is that most people only leave a church because they relocated to a new part of the city, a new part of the world, or they had a bad experience. I've, I've never met anybody who wasn't relocated for some other purpose 
that said, you know what? I love my church so much. It was great. Preaching was good. The kids ministry, student ministry, worship, hospitality was also great. It was so great I had to leave. I was screwing it up. So I came to your church. Now the reality of it is, is church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of people that are trying to figure life out. And I don't know what happened that caused you to leave your church. I hope that you'd find two things here. Number one, that you would find that you were a bunch of, bunch of other hypocrites. But mostly what I hope that you would find is that you've come into a place with real people, with real problems, that have found real hope in Jesus, that are really trying to live life in a way that would glorify God. You wanna know what kind of church this is? Um, well, if you're looking for a church where you can just come in and be comfortable, uh, enjoy half-decent preaching, great worship. Costco crack bread is back in the lobby, by the way. Praise God, amen, and hallelujah for that. If you haven't had that, it'll change your life. Um, if you're looking for a place to come and, and just be comfortable and, you know, not get asked to do too much Jesus stuff. I love you, but we may not be the right church for you. I mean, if you haven't noticed, we meet in a school. It, it takes hours to set all this stuff up. There ain't nothing about Discover Church that's comfortable, not even the chairs. What kind of church is Discover Church? Discover Church is a church that is passionate about people who've never experienced the goodness and grace of God experience in a real way in their life. We're a church that's trying to be on mission. We're a church that's not just wanting to come and just feel good on a Sunday. We're a church that's trying to figure out how to change the way that we live the rest of our lives, Monday through Saturday, so that we can glorify God with them. We're a group of people that where church is filled with a bunch of people that have a whole lot of shame and a whole lot of guilt from things that we've done in our lives that are beginning to learn, hopefully, that Jesus really is as good as he says he is. That he loves us as much as he says he does. That he loves us so much that he'll meet us right where we're at. He'll get down in the dirt on your level, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Discover Church is a church that has expectation that God will change our lives so that God can change someone else's life. Discover Church is not a church that's trying to be big. Discover Church is a church that's trying to see people that are lost and need of hope be found and find hope in Jesus. If you wanna be a part of that, man, we wanna have you be a part of it with us. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know what we're talking about. Maybe you're tuning in online and you're not sure about this whole relationship thing. I just love to read a verse to you. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter three, and this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking it to you today. Jesus says today, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. You see, Jesus is not here today to bring shame to your life. Jesus is not here today to remind you of your past. 
Jesus is not here today to bring condemnation for the stuff that happened yesterday. Jesus is here today and he's knocking on the door of your heart, on the door of your life. And he's saying, listen, if you just open the door, I'd come in. I'm not gonna bring shame or guilt or condemnation on you. No, I, I, I wanna sit with you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.